Well, good morning, Grace Community Church. Good to be among friends again. Well, hey, there was this guy in Garrettsville, Ohio, back in like 1912. His name was Clarence Kane. He was a candy maker who specialized in making chocolate. I like the guy already, right? However, unfortunately for him, during the summers, when the temperatures rose, the chocolate melted, and so did his sales, unfortunately. And so to solve this dilemma, he kind of set out and embarked on, on a mission. And that mission was to be able to birth a summer candy that was resilient enough to endure the sweltering heat um, of Ohio. Now, what sets Clarence apart a little bit from the other candy makers of his time was Clarence didn't really believe in diversifying and, and have you know, a lot of different assortments of candy. He believed in specializing. And so as he went about trying to figure out what kind of summer candy could handle the, the heat of the summer, he had a friend, actually it was a neighbor, um, who was a pill maker. And so the pill maker allowed uh, him, Clarence, to use his machine, which would kind of press this hard candy uh, into the form that actually Clarence wanted it to be in. And so as he looked down at the candy, he noticed that these, these little round pills had a hole in, in the middle of them, and inspiration struck, and he called them what you and I know today, lifesavers. And now you know the rest of the story. So Clarence became a specialist in making lifesavers. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you today about. I want to talk to you about the one who specializes in making lifesavers. The Bible tells us that God sent his son Jesus to be a lifesaver for the world. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world would be saved through him. Jesus himself not acknowledged this lifesaver role in Luke 19.10 when he stated, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And after his resurrection and just prior to ascending back into heaven, he gave us these parting instructions. As the father sent me, he said, I am sending you. God's lofty goal in 2024 is for you and I to, to be his disciples, to, to follow him. And part of that followership is to be like Jesus, who was a lifesaver, and to be lifesavers. Not the candy kind, <laughs> but rather the Christian kind. To be Christian lifesavers. You see, God specializes in taking melted down people's lives and turning them into lifesavers. And one of the best examples of how God can take a total meltdown of a life and turn it into a lifesaver is none other than Simon Peter. The same Peter who brashly informed Jesus of his superior knowledge of fishing. The same Peter who corrected Jesus and Jesus 
misdirected notion of going to the cross. And yes, the same Simon Peter who boasted of dying with Jesus only to have a major meltdown in the presence of a little girl and deny that he even knew Jesus. When Peter left his nets to follow Jesus, little did he know that day that he had just signed up for life-saving lessons. Some of you, when you decided to follow Christ, little did you know that day that you also were signing up for life-saving lessons. Well, Peter got a lot of life-saving lessons, didn't he? But the one that stands out to me, the, the life-saving lessons that stand out to me that he experienced, there is one that stands out to me more than all the others. And I would kind of consider it the master class of life-saving. It's recorded in the 14th chapter of Peter's fellow apostle and Christ follower, Matthew. Matthew tells us that upon um, finishing making dinner for about 5,000 people, Jesus instructed the disciples to go ahead of him in a boat while he went up on the mountainside to pray. And we pick up the story in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Ah, oh, Father, may your Spirit speak to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, just catapult us into action. And to be able to not only hear your word today, but do what it says so that we can live blessed lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, for just the next few minutes this morning, I would like to talk to you about four lessons that Jesus gave Peter in Matthew chapter 14 that we just read on becoming a lifesaver. And the very first lesson is this. And it's a little different, by the way, uh, than your notes that, that you have because uh, I, was, I was redoing uh, some of this message the, the past, this past couple of days, and I got really inspired, so it's going to be a little bit different, okay? I mean, just, yeah, blame the Holy Spirit, okay? Don't, don't blame me. I, just, I give them to you as God gives them to me, all right? So the very first lesson that, that Jesus gave Peter is that if you're going to be a lifesaver, you're going to become like Jesus and be a lifesaver, you have to get into the boat, <laughs> Notice what Jesus says to them. After he dismisses the crowd, 
uh, he tells them, get in the boat. Get in the boat, and he sends them on their way. So let's take a moment and just take stock of what's actually going on in this passage. First of all, it's the pitch darkest time of the night. It's the, the fourth watch of the night from 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. They've been battling a raging storm for hours and hours. And they're probably worn out completely just from rowing and, and battling the, the storm. And Jesus, the one whom they'd previously watched calm a similar storm, is nowhere in sight. And if all of that's not enough, every one of these big, burly fishermen are visited by a UWO. Not a UFO, but a UWO, which is an unidentified walking object, which they identify as a ghost casually walking on the water. So what do these big, burly, experienced fishermen do? Batten down the hatches? No. They cry out like little girls in fear. It's a ghost! <laughs> I can't get any higher than that, okay? Just out of curiosity, have you ever experienced a situation like this? Maybe not literally, but I got to tell you, I have faced multiple situations of this nature. And I'll confess that this fits the description. You know what I mean? Seasons of your life that are just dark, stormy, and they leave you exhausted. And God seems nowhere to be found. I've experienced that. And to top it off, and, and then I would experience seeing weird things. Okay, maybe not that last one, but... You know. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus was the one who had them get in the boat and go ahead of him in the first place? I mean, if he's God, and we believe that he is, and he knows that the storm is coming, he, he wouldn't intentionally send them into the storm, would he? Or would he? Hmm. I, I think I know the answer to this. Life savers are not made in the comfort zone or the safety zone. They're made in the get-in-the-boat zone. Jesus knew exactly where he was sending those guys. He knew that's exactly where they needed to be, in the dark, in a storm, and in a pickle. <laughs> All because they did what Jesus told them to do. They got in a boat. I I'm guessing it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think that this is exactly where some of you are this morning. In the dark, in a storm, and in a pickle. It feels like God's nowhere in sight. Can, can I just take a second to reassure you? God's right there with you. He knows exactly what's going on. He's doing something in your life. He's preparing you to be a lifesaver. And I know, I know. When does all this preparation end, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's there. He's with you. Hold on. It gets better. This is the first lesson 
of being a lifesaver. You have to get in a boat. And some of you, you would say, man, it seems like ever since I've come to know Christ, I've had difficulty, I've had trouble. You are being prepared. You are being battle-tested, storm-tried, and you are being made darkness-resistant. You are learning the first lesson of becoming a lifesaver, and it begins with getting in the boat. There's another lesson that Jesus gave Peter about becoming a lifesaver that night, and that is that if you're going to become a lifesaver, you have to get out of the boat. And you say, wait a minute, Jesus said get in the boat? No, Jesus said, get in the boat, and I'm staying in that boat. <laughs> and that's kind of what some of the disciples did, wasn't it? During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. And the disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. I love how the Holy Spirit prompts Matthew to record this scene. When Jesus sees the horrified looks and the high-pitched little girl screams from the disciples, he writes, Jesus immediately says to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Did you know that 366 times in the Bible, one for each day, and even uh, an extra one for leap year, <laughs> 366 times the Bible says, do not be afraid, do not fear. Interesting. It is I. Did they hear this correctly? Was it really him? I mean, between the sound of the storm and their soprano screams, it had to be at least a little hard to hear out there. And so, good old impetuous Peter I, I can't relate to him at all, you know? Is the first one to speak out. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you. I find it really interesting what Peter doesn't say here. Here's, Peter doesn't say, okay, Lord, if it's really you, tell you what. We'll throw my brother Andrew over, and if he makes it, we'll come in after him. He doesn't say, okay, Lord, if you stop the storm, calm the winds, get some light on the subject, then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in and, and swim out to you. He doesn't say that. Peter doesn't ask for a guarantee or a promise. He asks for something better. An opportunity. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. Jesus says, come. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? Lord, if this is you, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. See, I'm going to be asking every one of you here this morning, we just got your senior pastor's permission that I'm going to be asking all of you to pray that prayer. Lord, if you're calling us to go to El Dorado, just like you called many people in this same church to go to Hillsboro, just like you called many people in this church to go to Mound Ridge, just like you called many people in this church to go to Park City, just like you called many people in this church to sponsor children and save them out of sex trafficking, and give them a life, and give them the gospel. You guys did that. 
God did that to you. You're awesome. And just like you did when God called Caleb Barrels to start the next church in Lyons, he's doing it again. And he's calling some of you, many of you, to get out of the boat and to come to him. And I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer. Lord, if this is of you, <laughs> I have found that many times when I, when I pray that prayer, most of the time the answer is the same. Come! <laughs> Lord, if it's really you. <laughs> and he tells Peter, come, come. I got to tell you that I could be wrong, but I think every disciple on that boat by now, when Jesus says come, they knew it was Jesus. They could hear his unmistakable voice. And I could picture the scene going something like this. Peter, you're not actually going to get out of the boat, are you? I mean, are you nuts? And my favorite recurring question that I get from people personally and frequently is, Jay, are you crazy? <laughs> I think I figured out how to answer that question. You see, there's all kinds of crazy, isn't there? There's stupid crazy. Uh, I've been stupid crazy before. <laughs> there's bad crazy. <laughs> but there's also a good crazy. And, you know, Jack was right. We've been praying. Our, we had an entire team search about 53 different areas in, 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 in this region, Lord, where are you leading us to plant the next church? And man, it was unmistakable, El Dorado, Kansas. Guys, that was two years ago. We have been praying and asking God, Lord, send labors to the harvest. We're looking for someone to lead, lead this church, to be the church planner, to be the pastor. And, and I gotta tell you, we've, we've had multiple different situations where we thought, ah, we, there, here's our guy, here's our guy. And each time, it, it just seemed like it, it didn't work out for, for various reasons. Shelly and I, um, at, at this point in our lives, are, we're busier now than ever. And um, we've been praying, God, send labors to the harvest. God, Please send your Holy Spirit to speak to someone's heart. God, send your angels to, to move mountains. And then finally, we looked at each other and said, okay, God, send us. And so here we go again. Being able to plant with some of the, and I'm not trying to flatter you. One of the guys on the team, the, our Synergy leadership team asked this, why would you do this? Why would you come to Kansas? I'll tell you why is because God has done this before with us. We trust each other. We know what God can do. And if people think we're crazy, we'll just tell them it's a good kind of crazy, right? So Peter, full of this good crazy, makes the choice to get down out of the boat. Why would Peter or anyone else in their right mind get out of the boat? Because you and I know that getting out of the boat, Peter would be risking embarrassment, exposure to in inadequacy, criticism, and God help us, failure. And we all know that in so many in the church today, 
The worst thing that a person could ever do is to attempt something and fail at it. And even worse than that is to attempt something, fail at it, and look really bad in the process. That is a big bad no-no in the church today. And yet, Peter gets out of the boat. And it's true, there is a cost for getting out of the boat. But I'm convinced there's an even greater cost of staying in the boat. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen people who were given an opportunity when, when Jesus was, was inviting them and saying, come, come and risk it all. Take a dive in the river of risk. You're going to grow there. I'm going to make you into a lifesaver only to see them walk away similar to the rich young ruler because there were more important things in their life and they lost out. But that wasn't Peter. Peter gets down out of the boat and when he did, Matthew tells us that he walked on water and he came towards Jesus. As far as I know, there were only Two people in the history of our planet who have ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. I mean, how cool would that have been? Peter didn't know that's what was going to happen. He's getting down out of the boat. Can you just picture him you know, putting his, his, you know, his sandal down? I don't know, he might have taken his sandals off. But he's, he's getting ready, he's out of the boat, and he's getting ready to touch the water. And all of a sudden, it feels solid whoa, this is different. <laughs> okay, different's good. And he's still focused on Jesus. And he takes another step. Still solid. That day, Peter experienced something that was humanly impossible. He walked on water. With men, these things are impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. All things are possible. And as great as, as walking on the water had to be, I'm convinced that the primary reason that Peter got down out of that boat was not to walk on water. He got down out of the boat because he wanted to be where Jesus was. What a phenomenal life-saving lesson. If you're going to become a lifesaver, first of all, you got to get into the boat. Go into the storm. Go into the darkness. Go into the difficulty. But if you're going to be a lifesaver, you also have to be willing to get out of the boat. Maybe, maybe God has been stirring some of your hearts. Maybe, and perhaps, some of you are feeling not, not disgruntled, but just a holy discontent as, as though there's, there's something that, that God is stirring your heart to do. Could it be that God is saying, Maybe you need to get out of the boat and you need to come to El Dorado, Kansas and help plant a new church that is going to save hundreds, if not thousands of lives. Some would say, this whole church plant thing, are you really? I mean, we've lost so many people in our own church that could have been here. We could have filled our sanctuary so many more times. Really? Ask Hillsboro if they thought it was a bad idea. Actually, ask the, the people who helped start Grace Community Church in 1987. 
Aren't you glad they didn't listen to the critics who said, we have enough churches in Newton. Aren't you glad that they listened to God, they got out of the boat, and they planted this church? I'm telling you, Hillsboro's glad that several people got out of the boat here at Grace Community Church and helped start that church. There are lives that have been changed for eternity. I know many of them. And in fact, I'm going there next week. Um, or one of these weeks in January, to, to, to talk to them about coming and helping us. When we planted these churches, I had one string attached. You help us plant other churches. And you know what? I'm calling in favors, baby. <laughs> you have to get in the boat. You have to get out of the boat. There's a third lesson that Jesus gives Peter here, and that is if you're going to become a lifesaver, you have to come face to face with your fears. You have to face your fears. When Peter saw the wind, he, and when he got out of the boat, he, he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus, and Matthew tells us what happens next. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. Way back when I was in high school, like 1927, 20, something like that, way back when I was in high school, I wanted to be a lifeguard. And so I signed up for the spring semester life certification, life-saving certification class. Now, it didn't hurt that the instructor for that life-saving certification class was none other than Mrs. Elliott. Mrs. Elliott looked more like one of our high school cheerleaders than she did a high school teacher, okay? And, and so it, it didn't hurt that she was the instructor. Now, I got to tell you that I had been swimming since I'd been in my mother's womb, okay? And uh, see, you guys laughed at the first service, did not laugh at that. Love you guys. In conclusion this morning. <laughs> but, uh, but I'd been swimming, you know, a, a lot. And I just, I was sailing through this class. 20 minutes of treading water without touching bottom, aced it. Not a problem. CPR to, you know, to the song Staying Alive, because that's when it, about when it first came out. And um, aced it. Not a problem. I learned the, 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 the freestyle. I learned the, the backstroke and the side stroke. I mean, just, I was sailing through this class. It was great. Well, the last component of this class was you had to actually go into the water you had to, to, and, and save someone and bring them out to the other side. Want to guess who I got to save? That's right, Mrs. Elliot. And I tell you, yes, I knew Christ. I knew Christ. I've known Christ since I was 16. I was an 18-year-old red-blooded all-American boy. And I was kind of, sort of, just a little bit looking forward to saving Mrs. Elliot that day. Is that, is that fair? Okay, all right. And so, as my fateful day came, and I was going to get to save her, I had prepared for it, I would thought about it. And uh, we got there that day, and, and that particular day, Mrs. Elliot was nowhere to be found. And I'm like, well, okay, and I was getting a little nervous. I'm thinking, okay, well, she probably didn't feel well, and, and she'll reschedule, you know, the time whenever, um, you know, I get to, to, to do my life-saving with her. 
Well, filling in for her that day was Coach Barry. <laughs> I knew Coach Barry very well. I was the quarterback on his football team. And Coach Barry, I got to tell you, he was large <laughs> in the community and in body. He was all of six foot, five inches tall, and he weighed about 275 pounds. And did I forget to mention, he was a hairy man. <laughs> I mean, front, back, arms, legs, ears. I mean, just, he's just a hairy man, okay? So as the class gathered around the pool, Mr. Barry informed us that Mrs. Elliot was not able to be there and that he would be taking her place and that those who were scheduled to save her that day would instead be saving him. Every one of the students knew it was my day to save someone. And almost in you know, and like synchronized swimming. This was synchronized looking. Every one of them slowly just kind of turned like this and went <laughs> to me. Whew. Wow. Crazy. And not a good crazy. I got to tell you that after kind of getting over the shock of what I just heard, I don't quite remember all that was going on in my mind, but now in my clear-minded state, I can tell you that if saving Mrs. Elliot was like saving a damsel in distress, saving Coach Barry was like trying to wrestle a beluga whale. <laughs> and I was not a marine biologist. I won't kid you. The waters in that pool were angry that day, my friends. As the coach descended into the waters... The level rose. <laughs> and I was summoned into the watery arena. What happened next, I'm told, has become somewhat of a, of a legendary tale that is still recounted to aspiring lifeguards to this day. All my preparation for saving Mrs. Elliot was now out the window. As I engaged the victim in the water, he became demon-possessed. Now, I don't, I don't know where all those demons went that Jesus cast out of the pigs, you know? But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm sure that they made their way to the new world and into the, our high school pool waters and right into Coach Barry. I mean, he became a crazy man. And, and so he starts flailing around, and his arms are smacking me in the face. He literally bloodies my nose. He's kicking me. He's kneeing me. I mean, this was not what I had in mind whatsoever. With all my strength, I grabbed onto him in, 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 in the best way that I could. And, and then I realized that he was no longer a beluga whale. Somehow, some way, he had transmorphed into an Australian crocodile and had me in, in, in a death roll at the bottom of the pool. Whew. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out that I was no longer the rescuer. I was the other drowning victim in those waters, literally. 
there was a fleeting moment for me where I thought, you know, it might be best for me just to stay down here, you know, <laughs> instead of go up and face the humiliation in, in front of my classmates. You know, I, in my mind, I was hearing something like, yeah, yeah, J.R., can, he can throw a nice pass, but pff, he's no lifeguard, you know. He was too big. He, he was just too big for me. I couldn't handle it. I failed. And you know what? That traumatic experience that day exposed me to something that I didn't know and didn't realize. Through the intentional efforts, and they were intentional, of Mrs. Elliott and Coach Barry. They had orchestrated the whole thing. I came face to face with one of my greatest fears, my fear of failure. And at the time, I was so angry. And now, what a gift. What a gift. It, it, it very well could be that, that that's exactly what Jesus was doing for Peter. Peter had gotten into the boat, he got out of the boat, and then he started walking on water towards Jesus. But along the way, the gospel writers tell us that, that, that Peter, as he moved closer to Jesus, something else caught his attention. And as he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to realize just how strong that wind really was and how deep that water was and how enormous those waves were. And he got scared. The Bible writers tell us that he became afraid. Somewhere in his mind and in his heart, Peter decided, it's too big for me. Have you, have you guys ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, man, the circumstances in my life seem so much bigger than God? I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. There's, so, I, there's probably not a week that goes by that I don't feel like that. This just seems bigger than God. Sure, it certainly feels that way. And that was Peter. Interestingly enough, Peter thought it was too big, too big for him to be a water walker for sure, and so he begins to sink. Maybe some of you are there right now. For whatever reason, other circumstances in your life have gotten your attention and, and your focus is, is, is off of Jesus. And the power for walking on water has seemingly left you and you're starting to sink. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't doubt it if someone maybe like Judas in the boat is <laughs> probably saying something like, I knew this would happen. Who did he think he was getting out of the boat and trying to walk on water? What a fool. What a failure. Serves him right. And just when it looks like Peter's going down, he does something that I think was rather remarkable. He has the wherewithal to look to the one who could truly save him, and he cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, save me. <laughs> Have you prayed that prayer? If not, you can pray before you leave today. And look what Jesus does. When, when somebody prays that kind of prayer, when, Jesus, when, when Peter prayed that kind of prayer, look what Jesus did. 
Jesus let him go under about 20 feet and, and, and said, okay, you stay down there for a while. I'll teach you a lesson not to have faith in me. That's what he did, wasn't it? No. The Bible writers say immediately, immediately, he catches Peter. He catches Peter. Isn't it great to know that even in our lack of faith, even in our fear, he's there. And when Peter cries out, when you and I cry out, I, I got to I think I pray that prayer almost every day. Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. He does and he will. Why? He's a lifesaver. What a lesson for Peter to learn. Peter didn't deserve to be caught and to be saved from sinking. Jesus loved him. And there's a whole world of people, isn't there? All around us. A whole lot of people in El Dorado, by the way, that we discovered in our tap team process who are in dire need of Christ. That place is so ripe, you wouldn't believe it. And some of you know, some of you live in El Dorado. You know God is calling, and so we are getting out of the boat. There's going to be fears. There's going to be fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of loss. But you know what? God will deliver us through them all. He will save us immediately yes there's a fourth lesson and the fourth lesson is simply this you got to get in the boat you got to get out of the boat you have to come face to face with your fears but last and not least you got to have faith you got to have faith when when jesus catches peter notice what he says to him Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, and I think he was smiling. We're, we're not told that. And, and certainly the commentaries and the scholars tell us that there, were, there was a corrective nature here to what he was saying to Peter, no, no doubt about it. But I think in, his, in, in only his way, his loving, gentle way, Jesus reached out to Peter and he says, to him oh you of little faith he taught on that before that just a little bit of faith could go a long way in fact he just proved it right before this scene he took five loaves and two fish and he fed probably close to 20,000 people oh you of little faith man I, I gotta tell you sometimes I I don't feel like I have a whole lot of faith but Jesus didn't say, oh, you have no faith. He said, you of little faith. You see, a little faith placed in the right object can move mountains. And that's what Jesus does. Peter, Peter didn't walk on the water by himself. We didn't plant in all these churches by ourselves. We were focused on Jesus. He saved us all along the way. And his power was made perfect in our weakness. And to God be the glory. And he's going to do the same thing again in El Dorado. Right now, as you and I are, are here this morning, there are people in El Dorado who are lost. And I mean lost. It's dark. It's stormy. And they need the gospel. And they need us to seek and save the lost. 
That is our mission. As disciples of Christ, that's what we do. We're lifesavers. And some of you are wondering, man, why am I going through all this stuff? Because you're being prepared to be a lifesaver. But here, let me tell you something. And I've had this, I've literally had people say, well, man, Jay's got all these great plans of planting these church. You wonder what? They're written in pencil. They're written in pencil because we make our plans, but God directs our steps. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why do we doubt? You want to know why we doubt? Here's why I doubt because I'm human. I'm human. I have human frailties. I, I love, I heard it from Jack and, and I heard it from Kyle. We're fallen creatures and we have an enemy against our soul and he's working tirelessly against us. He does not want to see this happen. I think he's been fighting against us since our tap team finished, finished their, their mission and their work. But you know what? God's timing is perfect, my friends. His timing is perfect. Why do we doubt? Because we are human. But I think what Jesus was saying to Peter that day was, look, walking on the waters, nothing. To the person who keeps their focus and their faith in me, you're going to see great things. And you're even going to do greater things than this. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God can do greater things? Amen? And he can do that in our lives. And some people say, well, yeah, he does it for everybody, but not for me. That's hogwash. He will do it for you. He loves you. And he will save you because he wants you to help save others. Let's pray together. Ah, oh, Father, thank you for this time that we've had this morning just to read your word, read of, of an incident in scripture that um, is just, it's so inspiring and we, we resonate with it. We see ourselves in it. Lord, some of us need to get in the boat. We, we haven't been in the boat. We need to obey you. Some of us have been in the boat for quite a while, and you're calling us to get out. Lord, if it's you, <laughs> tell us to come. Command us. And Lord, we'll be obedient. And Lord, as our fears surface, inevitably they will, um, we're going to trust you to help us deal with every one of them and overcome them through the faith and the love and the hope that only you can provide. And Lord Jesus, we just commit ourselves to saying, yeah, El Dorado, here we come with the gospel to take back territory that the enemy has taken. And Lord, by your grace, and only by your grace will this be accomplished, and only through your power, through your obedient servants, Lord, we offer ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.